the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. So the Bible never condemns wealth, nor does it uphold poverty as the pathway to righteousness. And I want to make this clear, so I I just want to state this as plainly as I can. It is not wrong to have or desire nice things. The danger is found when the desire and pursuit after those things and happiness itself because of those things become a greater ambition in life than holiness found in relationship with Christ. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. The psalmist praises God for the richness of God's blessing in his life as he lived his life for God's glory. Seeking and serving the Lord produces a life that God can bless. God desires for his people to be blessed. But what does blessing even mean? Sometimes those blessings are material but they can also be relational, spiritual, and emotional. There are many ways in which God can and does bless his people. In today's message, Pastor Gary will teach us how to live lives that God can freely bless. Have you tasted of God's goodness? Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Psalms, chapter 128 through 130. If you look here together with me at Psalm 128, let me read it, only six verses long. It says, a song of ascents, verse 1, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, and may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So here in chapter 128, uh, you'll notice if, if you picked it up reading through it with me, that the word bless, or some form of it, bless, blessed, blessings, that word is used four times in this chapter. Verse 1, blessed are all who fear the Lord. Verse 2, blessings and prosperity will be yours. Verse 4, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. And again in verse 5, may the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. So the quick point here from chapter 128 is to be thankful for God's blessings. To be thankful for God's blessings. Along the journey between here and heaven, never forget all the wonderful ways 
that God is good to us. Now, there, there's an old hymn about counting your blessings. In fact, that's the name of the hymn, Count Your Blessings. Um, it was not a hymn that I remember singing in the tradition that I grew up in, uh, but it was a hymn that my wife grew up singing. And so every, every once in a while, uh, that's how I've learned it, because whenever I'm not as grateful as I should be, she'll start to sing that song to me. <laughs> it's really a precious thing. And... <laughs> but, but in 1897, this hymn was written, Count Your Blessings, by Johnson Oatman, Jr. And let me just read the words to you, because they really are rich and powerful words. Listen to, listen to what he wrote. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will keep singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy, like your reward in heaven and your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. And then the refrain of this hymn goes, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Now, when we speak about blessings and the blessings of God to us, the question is, what exactly do we mean by that? What is God's blessings? So that we get kind of a working definition, here's just a simple definition to it. God's undeserved favor and goodness that he freely bestows upon us. When we speak about God's blessings, that's what we mean. We mean God's undeserved favor. We don't deserve his favor or his goodness, but he freely bestows it upon us. He lavishes his favor and goodness upon us. And by the way, please note, his favor and goodness can take many different forms. Can take many different forms. And I emphasize that because, unfortunately, in the modern American church, at least, there have been these two opposite extreme views that have emerged. And, unfortunately, both of these opposite extreme views have kind of relegated God's blessings to solely be about material things. And so I just want to touch on what these two extreme views are and, and then try to park it in the middle so we all have a balanced understanding of what it means that God blesses us. So on the one end of the extreme, when, when some talk about God's blessings, it, it comes through what has been termed the prosperity gospel. Again, the emphasis being it's mainly about material things and tangible things. And so the prosperity gospel basically teaches that God's all about blessing you He's all about blessing your life with uh, divine health, with success, with uh, uh, a great job, with a perfect spouse, with perfect kids, with everything just perfectly lining up in your life because after all, God's favor and blessing is upon you and as long as you are, are you know, walking in faith, all of this abundance will be yours. 
But the problem with that is then you can have some good godly people looking at their lives and really realizing that they, they, they have not so perfect health and they have a not so perfect job. They're thankful for it, but it's not so perfect and not so perfect bank account and certainly not so perfect spouse and not so perfect kids. And then you can be looking at your not so perfect life and thinking, what's wrong with me? And what, what have I done wrong that God has not blessed me? Remember, Job's friends laid that trip on him. Job's friends went around saying, reason why you, you've lost your health, your home, all your kids have been killed, your livelihood and everything is because there must be some sin going on in your life and you're not in good standing with God and God's punishing you. Well, with friends like that, who needs enemies? You know what I'm saying to you? It's just like, you know, I mean, Satan, come back and take those guys too. You know what I'm talking about? Just like, why, why would you say such discouraging, terrible things? Because they had a wrong theological view of God. What, what we know from the book of Job is that God was working on something in the cosmic realm but between himself and what the enemy was limited in doing. And it was all in the end to bring glory to God and all in the end to show us perseverance through the life of one righteous man, Job. Job didn't do anything wrong in his life that he suffered all those many things this was something going on in the heavenlies that were that was un, not understood by job but sometimes we associate material things or the lack thereof with god's blessings or or not so there's that one extreme of this prosperity gospel but frankly the other extreme is just as devastating and that extreme is the opposite view which is the poverty gospel and it is, is the idea that God just, you know, keeps us stripped from anything and that what God really wants is for us to stay poor because if we can stay poor, we stay humble. And, and, and if we ever have stuff, we'll become corrupt. And so it's kind of this Puritan mindset that somehow a happiness and holiness don't go together. That if you're holy, you must not be happy. You know, that's not a good thing. And if you're happy, you certainly aren't holy. And it's the idea that success and sanctification can't go together. If you're successful, you can't really be sanctified. If you're sanctified, you, you won't be successful. God keeps us poor and keeps us humble and keeps us suffering. Because after all, the Bible does say that the love of money, not money itself, the love of money is the root of all evil. And therefore, God wants to make sure we have little to nothing because poverty equals purity. That's their mindset. So you have these two extreme views. And the problem with that second extreme view is then you, have, then you have Christians who look at their lives and they're like, I'm kind of successful. My bank account is pretty full. I have a sweet family. Uh, life has been good. And so the poverty gospel makes me feel like I guess it's wrong to have all these things and to enjoy a good life. And these are the two extremes that are really prevalent in the Western American church predominantly. It, it's... It's all over the place, by the way. But I think predominantly we see it in the Western American church. And, and so we need to strike a balance here because neither of those views is right. Neither of those views is right. That said, I want to be clear in finding this balance together with you that the Bible does teach that God gives us the ability to produce wealth. In Deuteronomy 8.18, and God has clearly made many people wealthy in Scripture, you see. And again, we're talking for the moment just material things because I'm, I'm just talking about the balance between these two extremes, even though God's blessings come in a multitude of ways. 
But you see Abraham, who was materially blessed. You see Job. You see David. You see Solomon. Many people that God made wealthy. In fact, Proverbs 10.22 even says, The blessing of the Lord bring wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. On the other hand, the Bible also warns against material greed and loving money. There are strong cautions in the Bible about the potential for material things to corrupt us. 1 Timothy 6.10 is a strong verse along those lines. It says, Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus even talks about not being able to serve both God and money. You can't have two masters in your life. You will either serve one or the other. You will love one or hate the other. But you can't serve both God and money as being master. One will be your master. And hopefully it's God, but both cannot be. There are also many constant admonitions throughout Scripture about greed and covetousness. So the Bible never condemns wealth, nor does it uphold poverty as the pathway to righteousness. And I want to make this clear, so I I just want to state this as plainly as I can. It is not wrong to have or desire nice things. The danger is found when the desire and pursuit after those things and happiness itself, because of those things, become a greater ambition in life than holiness found in relationship with Christ. Okay, that's the danger. The pursuit of those things as the ends and a means to an ends, rather than Christ being the end of everything. So that's the concern. So what's the balanced biblical view of this? Since in large part, the American modern church has hijacked the term blessing and made it all primarily about material things. Listen, the blessing of God covers a wide range of things in our lives, not the least of which is material things and not the most of which is material things. So let me just do a quick survey through the Bible so we understand the context that the word blessing is used. The first time that we see the word bless in the Bible is Genesis 1.22. It's when God blessed creation, and it says in verse one, in chapter 122 of Genesis, that God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. The next time that we see God uses that word blessing is in Genesis 9-1, when it says God blessed Noah and his sons. You see it again as the central element of God's covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All through the Psalms, just giving you a few examples. Psalm 32, 1, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. Psalm 40, verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Psalm 84, verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. Psalm 94, 12, blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord. In the New Testament, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches in Matthew 5, many times refer to God's blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart. In Mark 10, 16, Jesus took children in his arms and he blessed them. In Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. In James 1, 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. In Ephesians 1, 3, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So on and on it goes. In other words, listen, God blesses us in big ways and in little ways. 
God blesses us in visible ways and in invisible ways. God blesses us in tangible ways and in intangible ways. God blesses us in good times, hear me on this, and he blesses us in bad times. Because it's sometimes in those bad times that I cry out for him and I find a deeper fellowship with my Lord. And in that is blessing. God blesses us in a multitude of ways. The ultimate blessing of which, this side of heaven, is resting in a sense of complete satisfaction in who God is in my life. Knowing Christ and having that sweet satisfaction of that fellowship with Him. Philippians 4, 11 and 12, Paul said this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. There's this old chorus part of another hymn that says, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but just give me Jesus. So back to number seven, our point here is that we need to be thankful for God's blessings. Let me just give two practical points about what it means for us to be thankful about God's blessings. How can we handle God's blessings properly? Number one, for you note takers, God's blessings are for us who fear him. If you'll notice in this chapter, in verse one of this chapter, he mentions, blessed are all who fear the Lord. And again, in verse four, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. Now we talked about this a few weeks ago. We made a whole sermon out of it. There's a healthy fear of God that we should have. An unhealthy fear of God is the thought that God didn't get his morning cup of coffee and he's out to harm you and me, okay? That's not a healthy fear of God. A healthy fear of God is having a deep, reverential, awesome respect for the holy God of the universe. And he tells us here in verse 1 and again in verse 4 that the blessings of God accompany those who fear him. God is not indiscriminate in the way that he hands out his blessings, What he says is his blessings are predominantly for those who fear him, who walk in this holy reverence for who he is. So if you really want to receive God's blessings in all its various forms, we're not just talking material things, fear God and experience his blessings. The second important truth about the blessings of God is this, that God blesses us, his blessings are for us to be a blessing. His blessings are for us to be a blessing. This is what God told Abraham in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I will bless you in order to be a blessing. Now, I know the context of everything with Abraham there in Genesis 12 was about the ultimate redemption of humanity through the seed of Abraham because Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, would come from the line of Abraham. I get that. But in general, when God says to Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing, he means it as a principle to all of us. The reason God blesses us is that we might be a blessing to others. God blesses us not so that we can be a bucket, but so we can be a funnel. If you keep holding your bucket to God and say, just fill my bucket, Lord, fill my bucket. I just, want, I just want to be full. He's not obligated to bless. The best disposition of a Christian in terms of understanding God's blessing is that we see our lives as a funnel. Lord, the, the wide end open to you. Do your wonderful thing in my life to whatever degree you choose to do it. Thank you for your blessings that come in many various ways and forms. Now, I just want to be a funnel. 
Your goodness to be poured out to others. Your goodness to be distributed to others. Your goodness to bless my neighbors, to bless my church, to bless my family, to bless my friends. That's how we need to see and understand the blessings of God. He blesses you to be a blessing. Not so you can hoard it, but so you can be a funnel for it. Go to chapter 129. In chapter 129, again, it says, A Song of Ascent. In verse 1, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. With it... The reaper cannot fill his hands, nor the one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. That last verse looks a little conflicting with the previous chapter, but we'll talk about it. Let me put it in context with you. This psalm is about oppression. It's the word the NIV uses in verse 1 and again in verse 2. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. In verse 2, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Some of your translation uses the word afflicted instead of oppressed. New King James ESV talk about affliction. So choose your word. This is about oppression or affliction. And in the context, it refers to the various times when Israel was oppressed by her foreign nations by people groups that came against her. Particularly, this psalm is most likely a veiled reference to the 400 years that the Jews spent as slaves in Egypt. Because no doubt, verse 3, when he writes about the plowman has plowed my back and made their furrows long, he's using a farming analogy to describe the deep wounds and scars inflicted from a whipping. That's what he's talking about. And as Jews, they understood slavery. 400 years in Egypt, taskmasters whipping them, making long wounds like a farmer plowing a field across the back of slaves. The Jews understood and have understood historically a little bit about slavery and oppression. 400 years as slaves in Egypt, followed later by 70 years captive in Babylon. And you look at Jewish history and you see the oppression of the Jews and you see how different enemies and foreign nations came upon them to either oppress them, slaughter them, or take over their land. Let me just give you a quick review of Jewish history. Slaves in Egypt, 400 years. Captive in Babylon, 70 years. The Romans oppressed them, slaughtered them, and occupied their homeland for 400 years plus, followed by the Byzantine Empire for 250 years, followed by the Muslim Caliphates for 400 plus years, then the Crusader Catholics for 200 years, who came in and slaughtered Jews and Muslims, Egyptian Mamelukes for 200 years, then the Ottoman Turks for 400 years, and then under British rule for 30 years from 1917 till 1948, during which time the worst of the slaughter happened by Nazi Germany killing millions of Jews. Okay, so the Jews understand a little bit about hardship, slavery, and oppression. When we go to Israel, which we're going to go in just another week, I'm taking a group from our church, 
We have to be careful when we're looking at different sites. Okay, now what are we looking at here? Is this from the Ottoman period or the Byzantine period or the Mameluke period or the Caliphate period? I mean, their homeland has been completely besieged and the Jews have suffered great oppression. Anti-Semitism is ripe in the world, always has been and will be until Christ returns because at the seed of it is animosity and hatred that emanates from the enemy. And the Jews understand slavery. They understand oppression. And the psalmist is writing before much of the history that I just recited to you. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person too, so give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.